think you, most of you know, but my name's Jacob Hantla. I'm one of the, the pastor elders at Grace, and um, this is always one of the highlights of my year, is to share this message at, at Wellspring. So, um, I think it's one of the highlights of my year because I, I don't get tired of, and I certainly don't outgrow the need for revisiting this content. Um, you know, it's not like we ever, you know, you know this, we don't ever graduate past the Build and Wellspring disciplines. And being convinced of the necessity of shepherding our hearts is not the same as actually doing it. So I just hope that uh, looking at Proverbs 4.23 and some other passages together uh, will help you take what you have learned and motivate, encourage, and equip you and me uh, to go into the summer uh, actually doing these things. So let me pray, and then we'll get started. God, I beg that as your word is open in front of us, let me drift into the background and let your word be paramount. God, give me clarity of speech. And I know that all these women have been here talking for quite some time and minds can wander. God, keep us engaged. One more hour. God, I, I pray ultimately that you would be glorified, that your word would have its desired effect in our hearts, that you would be revealed, hearts would be changed. God, that by your spirit, lives would be changed, affected, maybe even saved. God, being here, being at church, being around spiritual things is not the same as being changed from the heart. So God, I pray that you would get us ready to evaluate our hearts, to guard these hearts. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you should have your note sheets. Uh, <clears throat> I'll be following an outline. Hopefully I'm able to stick to it pretty well. Um, those, The first part of the page are just some quotes. Uh, we're going to actually start halfway down the first page with in Proverbs 4.23. There's a what, a why, and a how. And so open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs 4.23. You may already have it memorized. Uh, if not, you should by the end of today. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. There's just three parts to it. There's a, a what, a how, and a why. The what is keep your heart or watch over your heart or guard your heart. And then there's a how. How are you supposed to do this? How does Solomon tell his son to guard his heart? And that can be translated with all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. And then Solomon explains the why. Well, because it from it flows the springs of life, the heart is the source of life. It's the wellspring of life. That's it. That's the outline. That's the outline I'm going to be using. It's easy to understand. Oh, what, a how, and a why. Um, but let's go into each part of this to unpack it and see, see some of the other things that the Bible says about this what, how, and why, and some of the implications for our lives. So let's start with the why. Turn over to, to page two. The why we must guard our heart. The why that Solomon says here is, is the very why of, of why Wellspring exists. Right? It's, it's why you get into God's word every morning. It's why you are how you are. Um, the heart is the well. right? It's the source from which all other behaviors spring. Solomon just makes a statement. This is true. God's word says this is true. Uh, the, your heart is the source of your life. Have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Right? You've, you've heard it said. You've probably thought it. Oh, that wasn't me. Right? You, you explode at your roommates. You see yourself lazy. Uh, lie, gossip, sharp speech. 
like, where did that come from? Right? You know the answer. That sin, and indeed everything you do, good or bad, every action, thought, deed, or word, think of it like water. Right? There's no... Every thought that you have, every action that you do, everywhere your fingers go, everywhere your eyes look, that is coming from somewhere. Think of it like water and look back, trace that back. Where did that water come from? And God's word reveals it came from your heart. So when you see sin revealed or you see good action come out, get back to the source to either praise God for that source or root sin out at its source. Right? So Proverbs 4.23 and this truth that everything that you do comes from the your heart prepares us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. And it's going to guide us towards walking towards purity of life. So think of, of this life flowing from your heart. Um, think of it. There's, there's two ways to, to put this that express the same thing. There's no part of your, of the way that you live that doesn't come from your heart. Okay. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't come from your heart. Or put another way, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Right? There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. And there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. You can't compartmentalize your holiness. You can't compartmentalize your sin. Right? You can't compartmentalize your compromise. You compromise anything that you let into your heart will come out. And anything that comes out came from your heart. Um, The character of your life reveals the nature of your heart. So the the illustration here, it's, it's like a city with its vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But if that source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water, right? And this is a problem because the Bible talks about humanity, of which we're a part, with some pretty unflattering terms. Consider Jeremiah 17.9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then think of Genesis 6.5, where God comments on the nature of man's heart and why he was moved to kill everybody but Noah and his family. Open up your Bible to Genesis 6-5. This is sobering. (coughs) Genesis 6-5. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Right? The water. Man was making a lot of wicked water. Right? Their life. What they did was wicked. Why? Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And did the flood fix man's problem? That descriptor of man's heart is only evil continually is just as true today right for the unsaved heart there is no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring and if this wellspring is deceitful desperately sick and only evil continually what would you expect to come out so that's why we have some some biblical math here jeremiah 17 9 and Genesis 6-5 combined with this truth from Proverbs 4-23 that the heart is the source of all life. You get exactly what Romans 3-10 quoting Psalm 14-1-3 says. Right? We have wicked hearts. Everything that we do comes from these hearts. So we see that the Bible's declaration over us is that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. 
No one naturally has a good heart, so no one, no not one, does good before God. Right? Even things that look good, coming from these wicked hearts, ultimately won't have the intention in the unsaved heart of glorifying God. So they're even the best of a wicked man's intentions won't be good. Right? And to, so to get to the... Um, to fix humanity's problem, our heart has to be fixed. And this... This description of all of humanity is wicked. It's the description of the unregenerate man, right? The unmixed sinful condition. Every single one of us were in this. Some of you may still be. So, but God, God doesn't leave the Christian in this condition. So, speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he gloriously tells us his solution to the problem. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God provided what he commanded. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. This hasn't yet happened for for all of Israel, but it is what God does when he saves us. What vivid imagery this is. So it, it might be especially vivid to me. So I'm going to help, hopefully help you get a, glance, a glimpse into my life. I, I have the, the privilege of giving anesthesia every day, and I get to hang out with hearts a lot. That's like my, my specialty, and I love it. But it's, it's amazing how when you see somebody whose heart is bad, took care of somebody just yesterday on the heart transplant list. When the heart goes bad, it actually literally acts like a rock right this this picture is is pretty pretty accurate to our physical hearts even though that's not what it's talking about right the the heart doesn't stretch blood comes in the heart doesn't stretch and it doesn't really pump it out there's not a whole lot of blood going round and round in that body and you see what happens to the rest of the body the rest of the body looks like death right a um when the heart is diseased and this blood supply is compromised, the supple, powerful heart becomes like stone. Right? The brain starts to fade. Kidneys shut down. Stomach stops working. Um, literally, death invades that body. But it's incredible then. You take that heart out, that dead heart out that's full of a body that, or that's causing the whole body to die. You put in a new heart, now all of a sudden, kidneys, intestines, brains, limbs that looked like they were the problem, that looked like they were dead, they get new life because they have a changed uh, changed blood source, changed heart. Dying organs are rejuvenated by the new blood flow, and a slow mind quickens. A body that looked like death is filled with new life. You couldn't look at that guy with the in need of the heart transplant and say, just try harder. Just get up. I can do it. Why can't you? Right? You had to you had to get to the heart of the problem. It didn't matter how hard he tried. His kidneys won't work. His brain won't work. His limbs won't work. Because his heart doesn't work. Christian, you and I had an old dead heart of stone. And God gave you a new heart of flesh. This is what God did for you, Christian, when he saved you. He took your old dead heart and he replaced it with a new one. You were born again, John 3.3. 3. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. God's given you a new heart. And at regeneration, God declared us righteous and he changed us 
from the heart so that we would for the first time have the ability to obey God and love God from the heart. We still live in a mixed condition, right? We still have our sinful flesh. We're still able to sin, but we have new hearts. And for the first time, we're able not to sin. We're able to please God. You are actually able to shepherd your heart from sin and to God. Without this new heart, the command, shepherd your heart, it doesn't even make sense. But Christian, we get to do this because we have a new heart. We get to guard. We must guard this new heart that, God's been, that God has given us. And now with this new heart having been declared righteous in justification, you and I have been set on a trajectory to increasingly live out this righteousness through our lives and through sanctification. We used to be slaves to sin. Why? Because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. We just read this together just a few weeks ago in church together. Romans 6, 17. It tells us what God has done. And Paul can't help but introduce this thing that God has done with the words, thanks be to God. Turn to Romans 6.17 and look at it with me. <coughs> Paul says, remember our old situation was that we were slaves because we were sinful from the heart. Paul says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. God accomplished this by changing our hearts at salvation. John Flavel, the 17th century Puritan, said it well. The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it's his best part after. Just think with me on how Paul introduced that statement. He couldn't say it just passively as if he's stating fact, as if this is a theological truth to, you know, appreciate, analyze stick in the back of your mind and move on. He, he couldn't help but say, thanks be to God. And we must have that same response. So seriously, stop now, right now, and in your heart. Praise and thank God for his regenerating work in your heart. For many, this might seem like old news. You have, you're well familiar with this passage. You've heard me talk about it. You've preached it to your own heart. You've shared it with, with friends. And you say, yeah, I know this. And familiarity can sometimes rob us of the opportunity to worship. We oftentimes aren't thankful like we should be for things that we're familiar with. Right? You don't realize just how thankful you are for the air you breathe. Until your lungs stop working, right? Or you're underwater. You're not always thankful for the food you get to eat until you don't have it. And thankfully, we will never be Christian without this changed heart. So sometimes, right, you, you, you will never be again at enmity with God. But don't lose the wonder and the awe. God has reconciled us to him and changed us from the heart. So resolve now and make a practice to never read these things without stopping and saying thank you and worshiping. Make a, a practice when you open your Bible every morning or whenever it is. When, you, when God reveals something to you, says something about who he is, especially when it's about him saving you, changing your relationship to him, 
don't move past that and look for some new truth, right? You will never run out of new things to discover in God's word. But don't grow tired of worshiping him for those old things that you know well. John MacArthur said it well. He said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And before this glorious truth of the gospel, if you're not careful, your heart can grow hard. Right? Just familiar, comfortable. So fight today and every day that you sit on, that as you sit under the blazing hot, magnificent truths of God's word, that your heart would be soft wax melting before its radiance instead of clay that would be hardened by familiarity. And so make that practice when you're reading your Bible and you come across things like this, like a statement, thanks be to God, that you wouldn't move past it without actually thanking God. When God reveals something about who he is, oh, I learned again that God is patient. Even if you learned that same thing every single day, you're going to learn that a lot if you're reading the Old Testament, right? If, as you read, if you're if you're running through Deuteronomy, or which is you know, if you're in you're in Numbers, you're like, man, God's patient. Man, God's patient. Every single day, I learned God's patient again. <laughs> That's okay. Stop and worship Him for for that, and say, if you weren't that kind of God, I couldn't stand and worship him. So Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives. And that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news, the gospel. That when God saves us, he changes us from the heart. And that gospel heart change is not superficial, right? If you're a Christian, you've been changed from the very core of who you are. So that everything else you learn today, everything you resolve to do, sit under that massive truth of the gospel. If your heart hasn't been changed, you can't fake this. Or you will only be able to fake this, right? You, there will be no change of life without change of heart. There can be no true obedience, no true glorifying of God with your life until your heart has been changed. And that heart change can only be accomplished through the work of God. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, this is at the bottom of page two. I love this guy. Everything he writes is, is money. But he wisely advised his church. He said, till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that is good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is the hypocrite's religion. But thanks be to God. Praise God. He has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. In Romans six seventeen, thanks be to God. You who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. And if you're not a Christian, please repent of your sins and trust in God to forgive you for those sins and to give you this new heart. Free to love him, free to obey him. If you've been faking it, don't, don't do that any longer. Don't, God doesn't want that. God has something so much better. When you are at church, right? If you're part of Grace Bible Church or any church, you are coming saying, I, you don't hide what your heart was, right? When you see sin in your heart, you say, God, forgive this too. This, this isn't that new heart that you gave me. God, cleanse me from this. We're, we're quick. We should be quick in this church, quick as Christians to want to look for sin in our lives, root it out, confess it together. And if our lives ultimately reveal that your heart hasn't been changed, Confess that to God, too. He loves to change hearts. Don't hide it by faking it with some outward appearance of holiness. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. 
right? That city couldn't flourish. The city, just like the guy who needed a heart transplant, would, would be only dead, filled with death. But then what would happen if, if a king came in or a savior came in and filled in that old poisoned well, dug a new one? Clean water, a new wellspring. The old well was filled with poison, right? It had poisonous water, and this new one for the first time had fresh water. What would the effect on that city be? The, the city would look new, full of life. Those who were once made weak, anemic, and dying from the poison, they would have a taste of that which they never knew, pure water. Those people would know the importance of that well, right? They would know, they knew the effects of a tainted well, and they would know the joys of purity. Those people would probably never think, I, I wonder how much poison I could let back into that water and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance because they would know that their very lives depended on it. Christian, we are those people. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. Right? At salvation, for the first time, you could glorify God and not sin from the heart. So guard your heart. Page three, in light of this illustration, consider the quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And as I read, look for the wellspring disciplines of heart-home ministry and how your heart affects this. So we, we didn't invent these things. Um, <clears throat> the poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, stays not there, but diffuses itself all over the body and doesn't stop until it has infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and then from man to man, till the whole family. And it stays not there, but it runs like wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, whole country, whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't be content to stay in your heart alone. It will seek to destroy you, then poison your home, your ministry, right, your small group, your church. It's bad enough to say, how much poison can I let in and still be okay personally? But poison, the poison of sin, isn't content to affect you only. So think about it. What poison are you dabbling with? Don't just think generally. Think specifically. Is there, is there any compromise? Is there any poison, any remnant that, that would appeal to that old man that you're hanging on to? That you would be hesitant to let that part of your life known to your wellspring group, to your small group? Like, but it's okay. Right, because the rest of my life, you know, makes up for it, or it's only sometimes. Right, some Netflix show, apps, thoughts, what you do with your time. I don't know what it is. But what poison are you dabbling? Remember purity. Long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard the well. Because that sin, that poison, when it gets into your heart, it will affect your heart and will affect your life. But for the sake of your life, your home, and the church, guard your heart with a vigilance because from that heart flows the springs of life. And God gave you a new life, right? If you disregard this, says in 1 Thessalonians 4, you, you're not disregarding man. You're disregarding God who gave the Holy Spirit to you. God's will for you is your sanctification. 
You may want to, when you get home, look at First Thessalonians 4 for some, some more on that. So the truth that the heart is the wellspring of life leads very naturally to Solomon's command, or the what, at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23. Right? We, we just focused on the why, the simple statement that the heart is the wellspring of your life. But now, the what? And you can already anticipate this. You can't help think of, okay, the heart's the wellspring, therefore guard it. Right? It should almost go un, unneeded to be said. Solomon should have just, he could have said, except for we're, we're too dumb to, to draw this all out. He could have just said, the heart's the wellspring of life. Right, then all these implications should have been drawn out for us, just as you think about it. But thankfully he didn't. The heart's the wellspring of life, so guard it. And that's, so that's what we're going to look at now. Um, the, the word guard or keep or watch, it's the same as is used elsewhere in the Old Testament and other Hebrew literature to, to describe what a guard or an alert sentry would do. It's often used to describe what a guard would do to guard like it crops or water or a city. The, the guard would sit, they'd construct watchtowers so that the guard could, and they'd put it where they'd anticipate enemies coming. And you don't guard things that you don't care about, right? You guard the important things, the, the food source, the city, the water. And so we know what our most important resource is, right? As Christians, it's this new heart from which all of our lives flow. So Solomon says, guard it. A city that was dependent on a pure water source, right? A city that had only one source of water. Jerusalem was actually a little bit like this. A, a city that had one source of water would obviously guard that water source to protect the purity of water. And now imagine that city at war. Where would you anticipate the enemy would go? Where would the enemy attack? Well, if the enemy couldn't get in just through the doors over the wall, they'd lay siege. They'd maybe cut off the, the city's food supply or the city's water source. That would be exactly the attack that you'd anticipate our enemy, the devil, our enemy's sin would take. Right? It's going to attack us at the heart level. So guard your heart. Right, so, um, so, oh, I'm sorry, just changed my page. <laughs> so, how are we supposed to guard this? Right, you could say, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be thinking about guarding my my heart at all times, and you should do that. Right, and a guard on duty over that water source, he'd never, he he shouldn't ever fall asleep. Right, do two things at once. He, he couldn't today. You wouldn't have the a guard guarding the most important thing. You you would be you wouldn't see that guy texting, right? Distracted, distracted while guarding, right? He is saying, "This is my job. I am a guard. I am guarding. There is an enemy coming. I have something important to guard." And he does it, right? So there's something when when you are going through heart guarding, are you doing it distracted, right? Like. When you open up God's word in the morning, is there a, just a, are you doing it distracted? Are you like, okay, this is something I'm, I'm sort of doing on the side and then, oh, you know, if you do it on your phone, a little Facebook message popped up, I'm going to go check that out. You know, news story, I wonder what about, are you, when you're on duty, are you on duty or are you distracted? And then the reality is you're never off duty, right? You can't. Okay, good. I, I guarded my heart in the morning. I stood watch. And now I'm at work or I'm feeding the kids or at school or wherever you are. And now I'm good. I'm good till tomorrow because I guarded in the morning. No, you, you don't. It doesn't work like that, right? The, the enemy is not going to, he's probably not going to come. You're, you're not most at danger when you're actually scanning the horizon. You're probably most at danger when you forget what you're doing. And so this command of guard your heart it's not something you get to do once a day and move on it's something that will come from the overflow of what you do in the morning in god's word but it's something you must do all day so let's look at psalm 119 together 
because the reality is if, if you don't know what you're aiming at, you're probably not going to hit it. And David, Solomon's dad, I'm sure Solomon had David's teaching in mind when he said this. Solomon or David asked basically this question of that you might be asking, okay, how? I know that I must guard it because my heart's the wellspring, but how? So David says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Right? That's basically asking, how can I guard my heart? Because if your way is pure, what else is pure? The heart from where your way comes is, is pure. So David says, how can a young man, young person, young woman, keep his way pure? And what's the answer? By guarding it according to your word. What, what comes next? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So as you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil. But that's not where David goes first and most, right? He says, uh, let me not wander from your commandments, right? I'm not, not going to disobey you. But what comes first? What, what does he lead with? With my whole heart, I seek you. So guarding your heart is more than just keeping sin out. But it's seeking God with all your heart. So as you seek to guard the wellspring of your heart, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God, not to get commands first and most, not to get applications although you, there should be things that you do, but we shepherd our hearts to the word of God to get the God of the word. So in your heart guarding, make sure that you're not shepherding to behavior-focused religion, but to God in the gospel. So when you open, this is my practice, you can steal it if you want, is I don't get up from my time in the word until I have an answer to the question, what does what I read reveal about God? And how must it affect me? And don't think about those things generally. Pick somebody in your small group. Maybe somebody, if you have a hard time reading every day, talk to somebody who does and say, uh, can you keep me accountable to text you every day what I read today? And not just oh, this is something cool I read. But put in writing, specifically, what, did, what does this reveal about God and how must it affect me? The effect might just be worship. It might be obedience. It might be confession of sin, repentance of sin, uh, serving others. But that effect isn't primary, right? The effect, the, the, the thing that you must do as you guard your heart is seek God with all your heart. And thankfully, God's word reveals him. So that's why David says, I'm going to guard my heart according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Turn to 1 John 3, 2 through 3. This is another sweet example of pursuit of God or seeing God having a heart effect. <coughs> this one's not on your sheet. I should put it on here for next year. First John chapter 3 verses 2 through 3. John's writing to people who, who are Christians, and you might be looking at this and saying, man, my, I'm concerned because I still see sin, right? And, and that's to be expected because when God gives you this new heart, he hasn't changed you completely, right? He hasn't made you sin less. But now we, right, we, we are in that, we've gone from the unmixed, nothing but sin, to now a mixed condition, new heart, still flesh, we're still going to sin. Um, and you might grow discouraged by that. Am I really God's child? And John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. 
but what we will be has not yet appeared. But be encouraged, because we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What is that? That's unmixed. No more sin. What's going to bring that to pass? We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we'll see him as he is. Not only you, but everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Ultimately, that conversion, that change happens by seeing Jesus. It's not magical. It doesn't happen apart from means. And the means is we see Jesus. How are we purified now? By hoping in him. And we're going to ultimately write that continuum. Now, while we're being sanctified, that sanctification, that progression in holiness, that ultimately will get that infinite jump to glorification when we see him, that progression day by day by day will happen by looking at him, by pursuing, by guarding your heart according to the word, by seeking God in his word, by hoping in him, gazing on him, and you're going to see him best in scripture. So don't ever tire of this. Um, When you see sin in your life, the solution seek God and repent of sin. Right? When you see sin in your life, don't think, oh, first and most, I need to just get get sin out. Right? There's the, the parable about the guy who gets the demons out of his house and doesn't put something else in the room. The demons just come back with, with more friends. Right? Get the repent of the sin and pursue God. Heart guarding is more than just fleeing sin, but it's pursuit of God. So one day when we see God as he is, in a moment we will be made to look completely like him. In this flesh that so easily entangles us, which is so easily contaminated, will be removed and we will be pure, even as God himself is pure. But this passage doesn't make us give up hope of purity now and wait for that day. It gives us hope that we're God's children now and purification is possible. <clears throat> so do you get this? The means of pursuing and guarding your daily purity of heart and the means of our ultimate heart purification, they're not dissimilar. A pursuit of God by setting the gaze of our hearts and one day the gaze of our eyes on on him that's the means of purification so today that is primarily in his word and one day it will be face to face i can't wait for that day but we don't have to wait so do you see how important it is to flee sin and fix the gaze of your heart on god and his word it's so important that Solomon says we must do this, not just part-time, not with half, not half-heartedly, right? He doesn't say just do this and leave it without a descriptor. He says you must do this with all diligence, with all vigilance, above all else. I don't think if there was a way to say, hey, this is the highest priority of your life, I don't think there's any way that he could have come up to say that any stronger than what he said here, right? If if you wanted to say something is the most important thing that you must be about at all times, no breaks, what would you say? Something like this, right? Something about like, hey, with all vigilance, above all else, do this. Um, That's how we must do this. Because we have a new heart with new love and affection for God. But the flesh within and Satan without, they're constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin, destroy us if possible. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else not being content to let even an ounce of sin in, right? Oh, I wonder how much sin or how much poison I could still let in and still be okay. Don't go there. Rather, guard your heart by seeking God with your whole heart through his word. All the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off. 
What do you do with more attention than you guard your heart? The answer, according to God's word, should be nothing. Does your calendar affect, reflect that? Right, if you're like me, I don't know if you are, I'm, I'm sort of ridiculous of my to-do lists and my calendars, and I, I'm very helpful. Make a practice of that. But put heart guarding on there. Don't let that just passively happen. Schedule time in God's word. Don't fill it in the gaps. Schedule time for prayers. Don't let it just happen. I'm not above this. And I see it happen in my small group all the time. You get, I just didn't find time to get in God's word today. As if you're looking for it, right? If, if you make time for what you prioritize. And, and if, if I have a doctor's appointment, I make it there. It's important. Somehow I found time to eat. Right? If, I'm like, it, this is, if, I, if I say that, um, I've told my wife and my small group, especially the guys who I do that text with every day, to say, the, the only time when I should be able to say, you know, I didn't find time to get in God's word today, I say, oh, have you eaten or drank anything? <laughs> right? Like, if, if your life is so packed, like you were just on the run, there's wolves behind you, or you're like, I mean, maybe, maybe. But if you're, if you're finding time to sit down and eat, Eating's important. Don't skip it. Oh, but don't, don't let God's word fill in the gaps. And man, my day was just too busy and I, I'll do it tomorrow. That kind of approach to God and his word reveals something about your heart. And when you prioritize a pursuit of God in his word and pursuit of God in prayer, and this isn't just opening up God's word to check a box, right? This is wholehearted pursuit of God. Let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart, I seek you. Kind of time in God's word. That will not leave your heart unaffected. There will be effect in your life. So do you see the guarding of your heart as just one task above, among many? When the Bible commands us to do something above all else or with all vigilance, we ought to listen. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't something that would be good to do in addition to all the other things that you do. Right? So like you would expect a city to guard its water. Like you would expect our country to guard its president. You, I, must guard our hearts above all else. Vigilantly, diligently. Now, open up your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 11. As we think about this need to diligently guard our hearts, consider the one who wrote the book of Proverbs in this command, Solomon. All right, surely he knew this fact that if the heart is the source of water and a life is to be pure and holy unto God, the source had to be pure as well. Certainly he knew the effects of heart compromise. That's why he said, do this above all else. Right, you guys are probably somewhat excited, I would imagine, rightly so, and, and thankfully about guarding your heart. Right, you're coming off the end of the end of Wellspring. You've had great teaching. You've been surrounded by godly women who you might want to grow up to be like. Or young women excited by the gospel that have renewed an excitement in you. You're hearing this and you're like, yes, I want to schedule time in God's word. I want to read God's word. I'm going to memorize the whole Bible tonight. You might be like, this is what I want to do. And then you get out and the cares of this world threaten to choke your joy, scorch your faith, Right? You're going to get home and have diapers to change, kids to feed, bills to pay, roommates to be patient with, movies to watch, apps calling for your attention, social media feeds to stay up to date on, news to read, all these things that are going to vie for your attention. 
And let me tell you, being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding is not sufficient. Being excited about shepherding your heart is not the same thing as doing it. Agreeing with Solomon regarding this verse, mentally assenting to the truth of these verses, does not mean that you are necessarily guarding your heart. Even yesterday's heart guarding, it'll certainly help today's, but it doesn't accomplish it today. Consider Solomon with me. Consider that you're not above this. If the wisest man who lived, the one who wrote these things, could do this, you and I are certainly not above this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, things he was explicitly commanded not to do. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, because they will turn your hearts away after other gods. God warned them, if you do this, your heart will turn. There's a lot of warnings for us about Things like money, relationships, um, commands to stay around the church, not grow comfortable with sin. There's lots of these warnings in God's word about what will turn your heart. Solomon didn't listen. Instead, Solomon held fast to these in love. For when Solomon was, or, and his wives turned his heart away, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. See, Solomon's no different than us. You can't be devoted with half of your heart, just like a well can't be half pure, right? Once you drop poison in that well, it ceases to be pure. Once you contaminate the water source, it's not like there's filters that change the nature of the water later. Solomon's heart turned, and what was the effect? Solomon's heart turned to false gods. His children, you remember what they were like? His children did not love God. And within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two and inundated with idolatry. How different than the effect that David had on his kingdom. Think of the effect that happened in the generation from Saul to David. As David sought God with his whole heart. Not perfectly. Right? God doesn't... It's not like you're not going to be here until you're perfect. David had compromises. And what did he do? He repented. Psalm 51 is a great model of that. God, restore to me the joy of salvation. Clean me from the heart. God, I, I'm, I see sin. I'm going to seek you with my whole heart. Solomon turned away. And finally, God's people were marched out of the promised land to exile and chains. Little compromises. I'm, I'm sure Solomon was certain that he could handle poisoned the well and all that flowed from it. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 better than you and I do. Right? He wrote it. But guarding your heart is much more than knowing the command. God has given you a new heart. He's given you the Holy Spirit and he commands you and, and enables you to guard your heart. And we must do this above all else, no days off, no higher priorities. And this is a lifelong process. So an important question isn't just how are you going to shepherd your heart or guard your heart, do it. But how well have you been guarding your heart? Right, a city 
might not only put guards around the water, but they might mo they would monitor that water supply. Is there evidence that poison got in undetected? We too should be evaluating what is flowing from our heart to see what the source is. Maybe you haven't been guarding your heart. Maybe you have. But today, is guard, guarding your heart is the most important priority. So there is um, on, your, on your notes here, and I, I would encourage you to not just read this now, but take this home. Uh, talk to your roommate, your spouse, somebody who, in your small group who cares with you, who cares for you well. And, and look at these questions and say, what do they reveal about how well I'm guarding my heart? And what do they reveal about maybe how I need to guard my heart better? Um, and at the same time, don't, if, if you read one of these, like, do you usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God? Right? Like, there was a day last week, I, I confess this is sin, this was horrible. I went through my whole day, I, I, I ate in the morning and I didn't get in God's word. Surgeries were crazy and it, it was evening time. And I, I realized as I was sitting down to text my, my Bible buddies, I'm like, I went through this whole day unaware that I was God's son. Unaware of the need to guard my heart. I mean, if you would ask me, are you a Christian? Yeah. If you would ask me, I could have flipped the modes and, and, and gone all Christian on you. But, but the, reality, <laughs> the reality is I was living my day just unaware of an affection for God, really unaware of God. How horrible. Where did that, where did that come from? I wasn't pursuing God with my whole heart. I wasn't guarding my heart. And then, so that, that immediately revealed a need to repent and change and pursue God with my whole heart. But likewise, what, what if you go through the day, just take a breath and you praise God? Your kid, you know, something good happens. You say, thank you, God. There's, rather than anxiety, you're letting your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. You get a blessing. You thank God you see sin in your life. You, you repent and thank God for this new heart that lets you do it. What if you're just, your day's filled with evidence of this faith? What do you do? You don't pat yourself on the back and feel really good about yourself. You don't smuggle merit into that relationship. Instead, this reveals, I have a new heart. The only way that these things could happen is if God had changed my heart. Thank you, God. I must guard this thing. So these answers hopefully won't only reveal sin. There will be sin revealed. But they will reveal, if you're a Christian, they're going to reveal evidence of God's spirit in you. So where there's sin, repent and pursue God. And where there's evidence of obedience, praise God for it and guard that heart all the more. Because that's evidence of God's Holy Spirit in you, evidence of a changed heart. So if your heart is the source of your problem, lasting change must always travel through the pathway of your heart. It's not enough to alter your behavior, change your circumstances, right? The solution when you see sin or you see a problem is not, man, I need to, my life's just too busy, right? It's not revealing something about your circumstances. Rather, your circumstances are revealing something about your heart. And thank God that he radically transforms people by changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words or behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive. Maybe the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. So check the purity of your life by going through these questions and then ask some others that are particularly unflattering, right? Some things that get to the, the heart of where you tend to sin. Write those down and, and make a pattern to, to regularly assess your heart. Whether this is just on your own, you revisit these once a month, once a quarter, maybe once a week. Invite somebody else in to evaluate the, how you are doing with heart guarding and then to resolve all the much more. To do it. Um, this summer, you're going to be outside of Wellspring. You're not going to have this regular practice. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't set up regular practices like this. You probably should. Um, so maybe when you leave here, 
feel like when you go to your calendar, schedule time in God's word, schedule time in prayer, and maybe schedule time with friends, small group, people in your Wellspring group, to go through these questions or others. Um, so let me pray. Thank you for letting me go just a little bit long. If you have any questions about anything I said, I'll be up here for a while after we're done. God, thank you for these new hearts. God, most of all, thank you for reconciling us to you, for removing our sin as far as the east is from the west, and not merely forgiving us, but changing us from the heart. And God, thank you that this dealing with this mixed nature isn't something that we're going to be dealing with forever, but it is where you have us right now. So God, I pray that you would give us patience and endurance and help us to guard our hearts well by guarding it according to your word and seeking you with our whole heart. God, thank you for what you have accomplished in Wellspring this year. I pray the fruits of it would be obvious in each life in these homes, and in our church. I've already seen great evidence that that is true. Be glorified in what we do with our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we dismissed?